0: In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Most of us are quite familiar with the saying that you cannot see the forest For the trees. Essentially that is a way that we say that you get so focused on the immediate things around you that you can no longer see the big picture. It's ironic and rather unfortunate that we so often find ourselves living that way. I say ironic because it is the big picture, the broader scene, that gives each individual thing in it its meaning and its beauty. We might get our eyes fixated on a glorious aspen as it changes its colors from green to gold or something of the like. But when we step further away, go on to the next hill, and look and can see the entire forest, we see the beauty for what it really and truly is. That that tree makes up a part of a much bigger picture, a much more beautiful painting. Or to use a painting itself. Many of you may be familiar with the painting A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of Le Grand Chate by Georges Seurat. It's a pointillism painting or a dot painting Monet and others used this type of art. Each dot without the others and without all of them combined is a rather meaningless blot of paint. But when viewed as a whole, we see a glorious scene of people and their pets enjoying a day on the lake shore and upon the lake itself. It's quite a lovely painting, but only possible when we see the whole thing and don't get fixated on a particular dot. In our gospel passage this week, we run across some who are so fixated on a particular issue that they can no longer see if they've ever truly been able to see the big picture. The Pharisees have lost their ability to see the larger truth of the world, They share our human tendency to get so caught up in how we think that today and tomorrow should go that they've lost sight of one of the greatest truths in Scripture regarding the relationship between God and man. They, like we, need to be reminded that though the issues of our day may be very important, that there is an eternal perspective that we must keep sight of to be able to see the big picture. To appreciate even better the small things of life, we are all now, I think, quite familiar with this group of Pharisees, a group of Jewish leaders who are threatened by the teachings of Jesus, their authority and position, and even their views on scripture have been challenged time and again and on at least two previous attempts in gospel, in matthew 's gospel, they have sought to test Jesus and to try and trick him and capture him in his words, to discredit him. And in this story, they bring along with them a group of Herodians, who were not exactly their most natural allies. The Pharisees hated the idea that Israel was under Roman rule and hated much of anything to do with Israel and its government. The Herodians, on the other hand, were supporters of King Herod, who was in his place on the local throne at the request and in the authority of the Roman government themselves. They're not exactly common allies, as I said. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they have partnered together to capture Jesus, if at all possible. The disciples of the Pharisees, the Pharisees themselves don't go, but they send their students, as it were, begin their discourse to Jesus with what can be described as no less than blatant flattery. They say that they know that Jesus is true, that he teaches the word of God in truth, in the way of God. And they go so far as to be aware that Jesus is not biased towards men. If you're famous or infamous, rich or poor, Jesus doesn't regard you differently. About all these things, their words are quite right, but they certainly don't believe them for themselves. If they really believed that Jesus was true and taught the truthful way of God, wouldn't they be his disciples and not disciples of the Pharisees. So Jesus calls them as such. He recognizes the evil plot is at hand. Both of these groups, both the Pharisees and the Herodians, are caught up on a particular tree. They're caught up in the politics and power game of their day. They seek to entrap Jesus because he's a threat to both of them. And so they ask him what seems to be a very two-sided question. Is paying tribute, a.k.a. taxes to Caesar, lawful or not? If Jesus says that paying taxes are lawful, the Herodians will have something on him because they and most of the people hate the idea of Rome and paying taxes to Rome. If he says it's not lawful, the Herodians will have something against him and that he's an insurrectionist and seeks to overthrow Roman rule. Either way, Jesus would be put away. How many times in our own lives, I wonder, do we try to put Jesus on one side of an issue or another, or to put him in a particular box, or to define him in a particular way? But Jesus, as he seems to always do, deflects the question and redirects it to a different place, to something bigger and grander, to show a greater truth while really not offending either of them in his answer. The issue for Jesus isn't the lawfulness of taxes, but is one of identity and image. The question he asks about the coin is whose face is on it, whose superscription? He doesn't ask this question because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus has seen quite a few of Caesar's coins in his day. He knows whose image it is, but he asks the disciples and the Herodians who it is so that they will see for themselves that the issue is one of identity, not of legality. They, of course, answer, the image is Caesar's, the words are his, If it bears Caesar's name, if it bears his word, if it bears his image, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It rightfully belongs to him. But Jesus proceeds immediately beyond this point to show them the big picture. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God's what is God's. To render here means literally to pay back. It's a question about image and identity, and while Jesus doesn't explicitly ask it, the question must be answered. If the coin is Caesar's image, what bears God's image? Such that we might give that thing back to God. To answer that question, we need to go back all the way to the very first chapter of Scripture. Genesis one twenty seven clearly states that God created man in his image. In his image, in the image of God, created he him. Male and female created he them. The Pharisees no doubt would have known that passage, and we should do well to remember it ourselves. You Pharisees are made in the image of God. You Herodians are made in the image of God. Everyone, you and I, are made in the image of God. Every race, every nation, and every person, regardless of their personal views or their personal faith or lack thereof, we are all made in the image of God. We bear his image, his inscription, his likeness. Give back to God what is God's, what bears his image. Consider that for a moment for yourself. What would it mean for you and what would it mean for me to give ourselves fully, completely to God? I don't mean to suggest that we should all become monks and nuns who do nothing but read the Bible and pray all day. But what would it mean for everything in your life, for your family? your job, your free time, all the little details of your day-to-day, if they were all oriented around the fact that you bear God's image and that we should give ourselves back to God and align ourselves with him in his truth according to his commands. God offers you life eternal and what he asks for you Is everything. Jesus says we should be all in, giving ourselves to Him. But not only for ourselves, there's the question of what this idea of being made in God's image means for our relationship with others. As I said, it's not only you, all of us are made in God's image. How do we give each other back to God? What does that mean for how we should interact with other people? How does that inform the way that we engage those who think categorically differently than we do? What does it mean for how we think about and treat people from other places or other religions if they are all made in God's image and are his? Of course, Jesus models this life for us. He who is the very image of the invisible God, according to Colossians 1.15. This Jesus who fully and completely gave himself to God for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. We offer Jesus back to God in the Eucharist when we represent that sacrifice for us. We need to do this each day give Jesus back to God, along with ourselves and each other. And as we grapple with those questions, if we do the hard work of introspection, if we go all in, God will begin to show us more and more this big, grand, and glorious picture. It's not each of us individually as trees in a forest, but to help us see the entirety of the beauty of the tapestry of humanity and all creation. This picture in which God's love and care for us, his creatures that his image is upon. As we see that picture more and more clearly, this love overcomes our differences, sees beyond them. and We become to love God and one another more fully, more clearly. May we do so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.